The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. God made me. God made you. Each of us. And God made me. For what purpose was any of us made? To do what? To achieve what? To be what? This 4th of July weekend, as we honor the freedoms of this country, I want to bring into our worship an American icon, one who died earlier this summer, Maya Angelou. I want to share with you some of her poetry as we reflect this morning. I'd like to start out by sharing with you a poem that she was commissioned to write on the occasion of the UN's 50th anniversary. She delivered this in 1995. It's called A Brave and Startling Truth. We, this people, on a small and lonely planet, traveling through casual space, past aloof stars across the way of indifferent suns, to a destination where all signs tell us it is possible and imperative that we learn a brave and startling truth. And when we come to it, to the day of peacemaking, when we release our fingers from the fist of hostility and allow the pure air to cool our palms, when we come to it, when the curtain falls on the minstrel show of hate and faces suited with scorn are scrubbed clean, when battlefields and coliseum no longer rake our unique and particular sons and daughters up with the bruised and bloody grass to lie in identical plots in foreign soil, when the rapacious storming of the churches, the screaming racket in the temples have ceased, when the pennants are waving gaily, when the banners of the world tremble stoutly in the good, clean breeze. When we come to it, when we let the rifles fall from our shoulders and children dress their dolls in flags of truce, when landmines of death have been removed, and the aged can walk into evenings of peace, when religious ritual is not perfumed by the incense of burning flesh, and childhood dreams are not kicked awake by nightmares of abuse. When we come to it, then we will confess that not the pyramids, with their stones set in mysterious perfection, nor the gardens of Babylon hanging as eternal beauty in our collective memory, not the Grand Canyon kindled into delicious color by western sunsets, nor the Danube flowing its blue soul into Europe, not the sacred peak of Mount Fuji stretching to the rising sun, neither Father Amazon nor Mother Mississippi, who without favor nurture all creatures in the depths and on the shores. These are not the only wonders of the world. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kithless globe, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace, we, this people on this moat of matter, in whose mouths abide cankerous words, which challenge our very existence, yet out of those same mouths come songs of such exquisite sweetness that the heart falters at its labor and the body is quieted into awe. We, 
this people on this small and drifting planet whose hands can strike with such abandon that in the twinkling, life is sapped from the living. Yet those same hands can touch with such healing, such irresistible tenderness that the haughty neck is happy to bow and the proud back is glad to bend. Out of such chaos, out of such contradiction, we learn that we're neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people, on this wayward floating body, created on this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth a climate where every man, every woman can live freely, without sanctimonious piety, without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible, we are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world, that is when, that is when and only when we come to it. What does it mean to be human, to come to it, to arrive at deeper understandings of who we are and why we're here? And among those questions, among those perennial questions that matter the most, that define how we experience our day-to-day living, includes that question of how do we know that we matter? How do we know that anything we are doing matters and makes a difference? That we're contributing in some positive way, some meaningful way to the world around us. Ideally, maybe even in some lasting way, some way that may be remembered. How do we know? Granted, if you're Maya Angelou, you get a nationwide telecast memorial service about a month ago, and, and, and her poetry will be read for generations to come. She will go down in the history books as one of the greatest literary figures our country has produced. Certainly, if one is Maya Angelou, you can rest assured you have lived well, spent your time on this planet well. But what about for the rest of us? those ordinary folk who may not necessarily merit a page in a history book or even a footnote or a mention in a history book. What about those of us who are just trying to live our best possible lives day by day? Day by day. How do we know? How do we know? God made us and that we're living a life that is good and worthy. How do we know? I want to pose that question to you all. Now, you, you all have a vibrant, lively, dynamic congregation here. How do you affirm the worth and dignity of one another? How do you affirm the contributions of one another? How do you let each other know that you've contributed something in some meaningful way, done something really good? How do you do that for lay leaders here in your community? And if I hear you, I'll repeat it. What do you all do in your community? What's that? Love. Love. And how do you bring that alive? What happens here that, to show that? By treating people. Treating one another with respect and, uh, and kindly and with love. How do we show appreciation and gratitude? How do we express that you've done something that's really meaningful, something that's mattered? You can say that. You can go up and have a conversation and say, thank you, what you did, your contribution, you helped with a dinner, you may have led worship, whatever that might be. It really mattered. You did a good job. We're grateful. 
How about for staff? How do we do that for the clergy and for the other folks that work for your community? What do we do? Well, you pay them for their job. They, I, I, yes, that's true. That's true. Sometimes we get paid when we're not doing a good job, too. So, so how do we get paid? How do you, what do we say or do to express a job well done? You, Reverend Ken's got a sabbatical right now. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And how about more day-to-day? How about day-to-day? You Say that again? Embrace a hug of appreciation and a, an expression of, uh, of caring gratitude. And again, you could say that verbally. Do have any of you ever written notes to any of the staff of your church to express thanks and gratitude? Some folks in the back are raising their hand. Do that. Do these things for one another. For one another as lay leaders, do them for your staff, your clergy. I'll tell you, in helping professions, these things matter tremendously, tremendously. None of us are in it for the money. Let, let your good folks know, your volunteers know, your clergy know that they touched your life in some important way, organized an event that you enjoyed, offered words from the pulpit or did something that touched you, that, that helped, that stayed with you and allowed you to think differently about your life. Let folks know. Let them know. It's one of the greatest gifts we can give. Doesn't cost a thing. It takes just a few minutes of your time. Now, Let's think about that for a sec. I know many of us do that. As, as some of you have articulated, you do that here for one another, as lay leaders and for your staff as well. Now, how do we receive that? Let's say we're on the receiving end of that expression of appreciation or gratitude, that, that expression that you did something that really mattered, that really touched me or made a difference in my life. And, you know, when I think of that, how we receive... I'm transported immediately back to to my childhood, my teenage years, where I think about, you know, my mom, my dad, you're so handsome, you're the smartest kid I know, oh, we just love you, love you, love you, stop it, you're embarrassing me, you leave and you shut the door to your bedroom and turn the music up, tune it out, tune it out, discount it, think about that for a sec how we receive those expressions of praise and appreciation. Often, let's say it's from a family member. Oh, they're supposed to think that. It's my mom or dad. They're supposed to think I'm handsome and fabulous and smart and funny. And all that. Oh, it's my spouse. They're supposed to think that. It's my community member. We're Unitarian Universalists. We're supposed to be kind to one another. <laughs> Ideally, right? We're supposed to be kind to one another. And we do. We are kind to one another for the most part. We do. So... It's easy to discount those things. That's just what we do in community. We're nice to one another. It's what my spouse does. It's what my mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle. It's what they're supposed to do because they love me. We discount it. Now, what do we do? What do we do with the opposite? When we get those critical points of feedback, critical points of feedback, often from people who don't know us really well, may not be invested in us, may not have taken the time to get to know who we are, what our values are, the difference we're trying to make with our lives or in the world. You should really look at doing this or that differently in your life. Oh, you said or did this, and I didn't, it didn't sit well with me. Oh, my goodness. What happens then? Do we discount that? Do we let that roll off our shoulders the way we do praise and appreciation? Usually not. Spinning, spinning, spinning. The little Pac-Man goes off. Waka, 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 waka. What did I do? What did I say? Who is this person? Why do they think this about me? What did I do? Oh, my gosh. And it's spinning and spinning and spinning, and we're thinking and thinking and thinking. We may even have a sleepless night, tossing and turning. 
tossing and turning. Think about that for just a sec. What sense does that make? Does that make any sense at all? You know, I only, I, I came to think about this a lot deeper. I'm a relatively new parent. I've got a three-year-old and I've got a four-month-old. And I'll tell you, what I started to appreciate as a, as a parent of young kids, I can see in them already what some of their deepest gifts are. It's by virtue of the fact that I live with them and I'm around them all the time. I can see that my three-year-old has this, he's going to have this amazing sense of humor. He's a card. He's a clown. He's hilarious. He's great fun. The, my little girl, only four months old, I can tell you already, she is sweet. She is calm. She has a very warm personality. At four months old, I know this about my little girl. And I can tell you that's not going to change. My son being a clown and a card and my daughter being warm and sweet is not going to change unless they begin to believe otherwise. It's part of who they are unless they begin to believe otherwise. What do we choose to hear? What do we choose to pay attention to? That praise or gratitude from the people who've taken the time to get to know us and invest in us or those points of feedback, critical points of feedback, sometimes biting and hurtful points of feedback from the people who are less invested in us, who may not have, have an equal level of knowledge or experience with who we are. It's worth thinking about the unevenness with which we approach those two experiences, discounting certain feedback, overweighting other feedback. It's in that manner that we often wind up creating the very cages that we find oppressive and difficult. Those experiences of feeling hemmed in, boxed in, when we're taking that criticism, that critique from the world around us, and the world is never short on critique. Be mindful of that. The world is never short of critique. If we are over-invested in the critique, where does our life go? Do we wind up starting to believe that? Do we start to lose some of our greatest gifts? Do we lose sight of who we really are? What is the cage? What are those bars that start to appear around us? I want to share with you, Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Cageberg Sings. The free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wings. In the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, and so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade wind soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn-bright lawn, and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams, his shadow shouts on a nightmare scream, his wings clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The cage bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. What is it that your soul 
sings for, longs for. What is that freedom? On this 4th of July weekend, what is that freedom that your soul is longing to find? We wind up creating our own bars, our own cage. When we give away our power to understand who we are and define who we are and define our sense of worthiness and meaning in this world, when we allow others to do that for us, for this world can be cruel. We know this. It's a rite of passage as an adult. Any of us who has reached adulthood knows that this world can be cruel and unfair. Does it make any sense to give away that power to define who we are, to define how we experience life, to define our worthiness, to just give it away freely to others? How do we decide that we feel good about ourselves, irrespective of what anyone else in the world may say or do, irrespective of what anyone else thinks or feels about who we are? How do we decide that we're worthy? Maya Angelou's life is a great example of this, Fabulous, fabulous, a meaningful, wonderful example of this. For those of you, some of you may have watched her, the memorials and the repetition of the interviews about a month ago as, she, as we honored her, honored her and her life and her contributions. She was abandoned by both parents at the age of three or four. Abandoned by both parents. She had to go live with her grandmom in Stamps, Arkansas. That was the connection with President Clinton. She grew up in Arkansas. She had a very difficult, very difficult and painful childhood. She was at the age of seven. She was on a visit with her mom and her mom's side of the family. And she was very brutally raped. That rape, that tragedy that occurred at such a young age, seven years old, wound up leading to her being mute. She didn't speak for five years. She did not speak. The pain of that trauma was so hard on her she didn't speak. There was a teacher by the name of Mrs. Flowers in Stamps, Arkansas, who during that period of time, those five years, approached her and introduced her to poetry. Maya Angelou's love for poetry began during this time when she couldn't speak. She was still dealing with the trauma and pain of being raped and abused. And this teacher of hers, Mrs. Flowers, said to her, you know, she saw Maya's appreciation of, of music and art. She said, Maya, you, you love poetry. You find it to be so meaningful. You're reading every book of poetry that I'm, I'm sharing with you, but you won't truly appreciate the art form of it, the art of it, until you can say it. It's a written art, but it's also a spoken art. It's meant to be said out loud. You won't truly appreciate it. And it's that teacher, Mrs. Flowers, who, who helped goad, nurture, guide Maya Angelou back into engagement, into speaking and interaction, interacting with others in, in terms of encouraging her to go deeper into her greatest gift, the spoken word, the art of the word. How do we go deeper into those gifts, claiming the best of who we are, Putting aside what the world around us may think, the barriers that the world around us create, I want to share with you this poem. It's the last one of hers I'll share with you today. It is my favorite Maya Angelou poem. I'm sure some of you know it, and if you don't, I hope you'll like it. It's called Still I Rise.
You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may tread me into the very dirt, but still like dust I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons, just like suns, with the certainty of tides, just like hope springing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken? Bowed head, lowered eyes. Shoulders falling like a teardrop, weakened by my soulful cries. Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard, because I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? Does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the hut of history's shame, I'll rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I'll rise. I'm a black ocean leaping and wide, welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise. I rise. I rise. Who are we called to be? Does our life matter? Each of us is ultimately the best and the ultimate judge of that question. Don't let the world answer that question for you. This world can be cruel. It can try to put us down. In fact, even try to take away our greatest gifts from us. We know in our hearts who we're meant to be, what our talents are, that love and compassion that's the wellspring of this community, of each of us. Be grounded in that. In Maya Angelou's words, stand still inside yourself and know who you are. Know the light that shines within you. It's in that spirit that each of us is here to make a difference, is making a difference. Know that in your heart and soul, that you matter. Your life matters every day of it, every day of it. I invite us now into a space of contemplation, meditation, and prayer. Spirit of life, spirit of love, dear God, great mystery, as we enter a new week, may we each be mindful of those blessings and gifts of who we are. Let's find ways not to shrug off those amazing blessings of compliments and appreciation that come our way. Let's find ways to soak them in even deeper. Understanding that when someone sees that light in us, they are mirroring it back, and that is a gift. It is a blessing. It's a blessing. We recognize. We recognize and we know through our experience 
that the world can be cruel, it can be biting, it can be hard on us. We don't have to believe everything the world tells us or sends our way, all that energy, the negativity, the critiques that make us spin, that sometimes keep us from sleeping at night. Know thyself, know yourself, know the goodness that lies within you. May we each find ways to do that, bring that alive, not just in the week ahead, but in all our days. May it be so. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.